right? So I was, I have a hard time remembering exactly how old I was uh, when I think back to stories. I think I was grade five-ish. I started uh, showing interest in golf. And so my dad would take me, there was this, grew up in Winnipeg, there was this par three course, and we would go golfing. Uh, it didn't stick. At this point, I golfed maybe once or twice a year at best. And I, I remember my dad, he would say, the first, like all golf courses, but this par three, it was, you know, you, you, you kind of started up high, and you could see the green, and as all kids, or maybe all males, you'd look and be like, all right, a piece of cake, I can get it right on the green. And I'd stand there, but right beside you was the putting green, and then there was this lineup of people, so everybody was watching you as you were going to hit, and... It was intimidating. And I remember my dad, his advice was, you will do well in golf if you just hit it straight. Don't focus so much on how far you hit it, but just hit it straight, and you're going to do fine. Really important truth. You know, if I hit it straight, I'm going to be fine. Well, the nervousness, people watching, I'm a kid, knew that, like, I would duff it, or I, I have this uh, beautiful uh, slice, and it likes to do this. Or sometimes I'll hit it, and it'll be somewhat straight, but there's so much spin in the ball when it hits the fairway, it takes off that way. It's amazing. And, and to the point where now when I golf, because I'm no competitive golfer, I just want to go and have fun. Generally, the only times I golf is with my dad now, just to hang with my dad, and he clobbers me every time. I have this driver that's a cheat driver in the sense that the, 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 the head of the driver is offset so it's illegal, and it's to help so that you don't slice the ball. So now instead of slicing the ball like this, I slice the ball like this, a little less so. Um, I still slice, but it's just like I can't hit the ball straight. It doesn't matter what happens. I do not hit it straight. And the truth is true. If, to do well in golf, if you just got to hit the ball straight. So even though I know this truth, it hasn't changed anything in my golf game. Nothing. And just as basic of a truth of that is to golf, just hit the ball straight. Distance is less important. There's a, there's a truth that I want to talk about that I think it's really, really basic. And we can know it here in our minds and our brain, but if it doesn't kind of seep into the rest of us, into our heart, into our soul, into our very being... It'll be like me golfing. We'll keep kind of slicing in life and be like, ah, oh, why is this happening? But not that if this truth seeps into you, not everything won't be perfect and it won't be unicorns and rainbows, but it will bring an alignment to your life where you'll be like, okay, even though this is chaotic or this is tough or this is difficult, I can handle this. And it's <clears throat> this simple truth that God loves you. Again, I think most, if all of us, would intellectually say, yeah, yeah, yeah. But I, I, I want to speak less to your minds and more to your kind of hearts. Is that something that is marinated through all of your being and who you are? God loves you. 
so the very beginning of the story of Scripture is Adam and Eve. And, and you're probably very familiar, you know, creation and God creating and Adam and Eve and, and all this happening. And then there's what we refer to as the fall where they both disobey God. The one thing God tells them not to do, they do. And when they realize what they did, what do they do? They hide from God. And we have been hiding from God ever since. Now you might say, like, I'm not dressed like that, and I'm not, you know, it's not a literal God walking around. I like, sorry, that's wrong. A visual, you know, representation of God walking around. I'm trying to hide, you know. It's like my dog when he's in trouble and he sticks like just a little bit of his head under the bed and he thinks you can't see him. You know, that'd be kind of us trying to hide from God. But I think we hide from God because we don't like what we see in the mirror. And by hiding from God, I think it's not this, you know, trying to tuck away from a tr- under, behind a tree or put, put ourselves under a bed. It's these things in our life that there's maybe shame or embarrassment or hurt or bitterness. And we try to put them maybe in a nice little box and put them in the deepest recesses of our soul. And we don't want anybody to see what's in that box. We don't want anybody to open that box. And we want to hide it from everybody, even God. Because if that box got opened up and people saw What's in there? How how could they accept me? They, They would think of me differently, that's for sure. Could God even really love me? If that bitterness and that hurt and those thoughts and those words and that pain. So I gotta hide it from God. It's in a lot of ways our mindset. We want to we bury it into the depths of the being of who we are. And then often when we have this, it, it becomes this weight. Because you know, we're working hard that no one notices, no one sees. And then whether we realize or not, a lot of times it's kind of that effort of it's kind of working in the background of your being and you're just, it becomes heavy. And we think, man, if maybe, because I have this, I'm sure God doesn't, you know, can't completely and utterly love me. Maybe if, maybe if I, maybe if I'm better in all the other areas of my life, it will, it will make up for this. And so we think, oh, if I do some good things, if I, you know, volunteer here, if I, you know, help that lady across the street, if I give a little bit of money away, if I, if I do all these good things, maybe that'll offset the scales of, the, of what's in my life and it'll, and, it'll, and it'll tip the scales so that, ah, okay, there's more good than bad. So then 
absolutely God can at least, you know, have me around now. And if not God, other people at least, you know, it's like there's more good than bad. Even though the bad, I'm hiding it and people don't know, I know. And that becomes a bit of the game that started with Adam and Eve and has just consistently throughout history taken place. So I, I don't know if you can relate to that at all, or maybe like Tyson, I have no clue what you're talking about. I have nothing that I'm kind of, I'm an open book. I'm fine with everybody just seeing everything about me. There's uh, an interesting word, uh, this, the scripture reading during worship that uh, Tammy did, it, it referenced this word, Abba. It's an Aramaic word. Jesus uh, spoke a lot of Aramaic in his day and time. And Abba is, is, is a word for, it would be like the kids, when they talk to their dad, they, they, they would, they were, if they spoke Aramaic, they would call their dad Abba. It's, it's, it's not formal, like father. It's more like daddy, or as Reed wants to like papa. Kind of this, this endearing, when you want to refer to your dad in a loving, endearing way, uh, in Aramaic, you would use the word Abba. And God has many, many different names and titles and references. And you go through scripture and, you know, we could, we could spend 50 Sundays, you know, talking about a different name of God each Sunday. And, and those names all have different kind of focuses on who God's character is, but in Jesus' day, and even in our day, if you listen to people pray, often when they're addressing God in Jesus' day, they wanted to be formal and kind of regal, and they'd use this word Yahweh, which is kind of like Lord, and you know, it's kind of like, you know, this, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a name of God, it's a good, you know, there's nothing wrong with it, but often when they pray, they would try to be like, you know, it'd be like, oh, great one, you know. Lord of all, you know, the hosts of heavens, and they kind of go on and on and on. And here's the interesting thing about Jesus when he prays. When you go through the New Testament, the Gospels, and you look at every prayer of Jesus, every prayer except for one, and the one exception is when he's hanging on the cross, and he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? So this, that's the one exception. Every other prayer, when you kind of go and look at the original language, Jesus starts off the prayer by saying, Abba. Hey, Daddy, Father. He references God as Abba. And we, and we heard that in, I don't know if you caught it, but in the, in the little scripture reading we're going to be doing in the Sundays leading up to Easter, Tammy read when, when Jesus goes to the garden, it's right before he's going to be arrested. And he brings his disciples and he goes to the garden and he, and he has them praying and he goes off to pray. And, and, he's, and he's going to be pleading with God, basically saying, hey, if there's any other option other than me going to the cross, can, can we, can we kind of do option B if it's possible? And then through prayer he realizes there, there isn't. There's the option A is the one and only option. But in that prayer, he starts with like, Abba, Father. All the time, he's using this word, Abba, Father. And, and if you want to understand that God loves you, 
you need to understand Abba, the Father. And anytime we talk about fathers, it, be, it becomes difficult because none of us have had a father that would correlate with who God is. We have different degrees of how we look at our fathers, but, but no, none of us can look at you know, our father and be like, oh, that's a perfect picture of who God is. But, but it's the analogy that's used all throughout Scripture. So who is this Abba? Jesus, he, he got in trouble all the time, which is kind of nice. It's a little relieving for us because... I, I'll, I'll speak in first person. I tend to get in trouble. And, and one of the nice things about, uh, one, one of the times when Jesus was getting in trouble was he, w- he was hanging out with, with the wrong crowd too much. It, sinners is how they're referred to. It was the people that had the wrong, you know, they're, they're, they're supporting the wrong political agenda. They're working with the Roman Empire. And Jesus as a Jew wasn't supposed to like the Roman Empire. Um, they, they were people that, uh, you know, drank too much, even got drunk. Uh, they were people that, you know, ate at the ro- wrong times of the week and worked when they weren't supposed to work and, you know, probably said the wrong words at the wrong, you know, there's just a bit of a rough crowd, wrong crowd. And this is who Jesus was hanging out with. And the, the, the religious elite, they, they accused him of this. Like, what are you doing hanging out with all these people? You should be with the, you know, the folk that got it all, kind of their act together, that are following the rules. Because you got to keep the rules so that you can earn God's love, so that that scale can be a bit more on the, you know, more good than bad. And so Jesus, instead of, instead of, you know, chastising them or, or, giving them a list of rules, he tells a story. He actually told three stories, but we're going to focus on the one story. It's found in Luke uh, chapter 15. We, we know it as the story of the prodigal son. And the story actually isn't about the son really at all. It's all about the father, Abba, and the love of the father towards his sons. And he tells a story in such a shocking way, in, in, in saying things about the son and different things, that his audience would have been like, like he did what? It'd be like one of those movies where, you know, you think you know what the character's going to do, and then they do something totally different, and you're kind of like taken aback as you watch the movie. You got to kind of, kind of makes you take a few steps back to realize, well, okay, that character did something totally out of context. And, and this is how he's telling the story. About the son that goes to his father and says, I, I, a wealthy father, and says, I'd like my inheritance now. Completely disrespectful. Give me my money. Come on, can't you die already? Give me my money. Shocking. Disrespectful. Hurtful to the father. Embarrassing in the community. You know, your son did What? And then the shocking thing is he actually does it. He, he gives him his inheritance. He would have sold off probably a bunch of land and gave his son his inheritance. And Jesus tells the story that the son goes into the big city, wastes the money, spends it unwisely, 
and all of a sudden he's in poverty. To the point where he's taking care of pigs, which is not a common Jewish occupation. Unclean pigs. He's eating the food with the pigs. And he finally decides to come home. And here's some of the, the interesting nuances of the story of Jesus. The first person to notice the son walking down the street towards home was the father. And he runs out to his son. There was a custom in those days that if you brought shame on your family, there's different cultures in our world today, and there's a culture in that time. We call them shame cultures. Where there's this huge, you know, you got to pay respect to the family. You don't want to bring dishonor and shame onto your family. And if you do, it is like, it is severe. And this is a bit of that shame culture. And, and if you brought shame on your family, the leaders in the, of the community, of the town would come and they would bring you to the town square and they would take a jar and they'd break it at your feet. And if they did that, it was legally binding that you were disowned from the family from the community. And so many scholars think that the father running, watching for his son and running out was because he wanted to beat the elders from coming and taking him to this town square. If he could get there first, he could, he could rescue his son from being the, brought to the town square and that jar being broken at his feet. And so the father, the Abba, he runs out to his son and embraces him and you know, puts sandals on his feet because, again, in that culture, you know, servants and slaves were barefoot. So he puts sandals on him, put my best robe on him. Let's get the, the ring on his finger, which would, which would have been used to any business transaction. You'd need this ring to kind of sign and seal the business transaction. Could you imagine that? Your son who you gave his inheritance and he wasted it and you give him the king, the keys to your business, basically? The authority to kind of sign off and do any business transaction he wanted to? Now, Jesus didn't reference this, but I always wonder, like, the next morning, he was like, okay, you can give me the ring back now. Like, you can have it for that, but I'm going to make the decisions for a little while longer. But, it, but, you know, it's just, he's, he's saving his son from this pot-breaking kind of legal transaction is what he's doing. And he brings him in, and he throws a party. He celebrates. We've got to have more parties in our culture, more celebrating. But he throws a party. He celebrates. This father shows surprising love and graciousness onto this son. He celebrates his reunion with his son. These people are like, Jesus, why do you hang out with this crowd? Like, they're, they're boxes of stuff that's like all their, you know... The hurts and the pains and the bitterness and the mistakes and all that. They don't even try to hide it. They just got it out in the open. They kind of open the lid and show everybody. At least we kind of keep it all nice and tidy and hide it away. Um, why would you hang out with those types of people, Jesus? And he tells a story to say, because I love them. 
I want to be reunion. I want to show them grace and love. I want to celebrate their reunion with God, with Abba. And so you, the real secret is you can't hide anything from God. If you could, he wouldn't be God. And God sees your box of stuff. And his response is, he wants to run out and embrace you and love you. He doesn't say, oh, he doesn't stop halfway and say, oh, we got to get some stuff in order here before I can love you. See, my picture is Jesus running, or God running out and embracing you and loving you and being gracious and then gently saying, let's, let's open up that lid and what can we work on first? What can we deal with first? Because that's heavy for you. You don't want to keep carrying that. It's slowing you down. Let's work on one thing at a time. And, and if you don't let work on those things, that's fine. I still love you. And if you work on those things, it doesn't matter. I, I, I'm not going to love you more. See, this is the truth I think we know here, but sometimes we don't get it here. There is absolutely nothing you can do that would make God love you less, and there is absolutely nothing you can do that would make God love you more. You, you can't change God's love for you. There's no favor, there's no bartering, there's no scales. It's a picture of a father running out to a son who does not deserve it embracing him. And if you think, ah, oh, man, like I'm not as bad as that son, my response would be, no, you probably are worse. We're all, we all have those things, those boxes, you know, stuff in there that we, you know, we, you didn't tell me, I'm not telling you mine, but God sees him, God knows. So what do we do with Abba's love? What do we do with God's love? The reason we're talking about this is for two more Sundays this month, I, I want to talk about, so, uh, someone went to Jesus once and said, okay, Jesus, what's, like, I want focus in my life, and I want to, I you know, be on the right track, so can you distill all this down and tell me, like, what's the most important thing to follow in God? And Jesus said, oh, that's simple. Two things. Love God, love people. He said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and all your mind, all your strength. And love your neighbors yourself. That's it. And so for two more Sundays this month, we're going to talk on those. But you can't love God and love people truly and completely and well until you understand God's love for you. Because your love for God and people flows out of the love God has for you. So, so what do you do with God's love? I think, I think two things. The, the first one is, is we need to soak in it every day of our lives. Marinate in it. If you do any barbecuing, you know the difference between, you know, 
steak that you kind of just take out of the package and throw in the barbecue to something that's been marinating for a really long time. Could be the exact same cut of steak, but just something about that marinating. Sorry, I'm a little hungry. Uh, but it, it's, it's, it's that idea of, you know, it permeates, soaks through everything. We need to remind ourselves of God's love for us and have it kind of work its way through, not just our intellectual exercise, but it permeates into our hearts and our souls. You need to take time and just be like, thank you, God, for loving me. When I, when I think I deserve it and when I think I don't. Not, not, not so much as, as a prayer to God and reminding him, more as a reminder to yourself. You need to tell yourself sometimes, you know what? God loves me. When, when, when you're feeling down on yourself, when you maybe messed up and you did something stupid or, or life's really hard, uh, you need to pause and be like, you know what? This is terrible, but God still loves me. And then when you're feeling really good about yourself, you did something awesome. You know, something went really well at work or, or with a friend or at home or, you know, like something like it was just like your, your, your chest is out and you're just like, yeah. You need to remind yourself that God loves you. Not more. Just loves you. This needs to be something that just permeates through everything. So that when you do do things like Sing songs of worship, serve, love a family member, help that old lady across the street. Whatever you're doing, you're not doing it to tip scales. You're doing it out of a response of like, man, you love me, God. So sure, I'm just going to do this out of of an expression, out of an outpouring of love for you. And that's what we're going to talk about a few more Sundays. So when you, when you love God, when, when, you, when you love people and serve and help, it's just this outpouring of God's love for you, this, this seeping through your being. So the first thing is, is you, you just need to remind yourself of God's love for you. And you might seem childish. This is so silly to be like, yes, God loves me. That's Okay. Jesus says we should be childish in our faith. And then I think the second thing we need to do is that box that I've been talking about that we try to hide away. We put all those hurts and pains and struggles and issues, bitterness, and we try to lock it up really tight. I think we need to open that up, maybe take out one thing at a time, and just be like, okay, God, can we work on this one? Can your love kind of wash over this one? And that won't be simple. That won't be painless. That won't be easy. But I think God looks at me, I'll use myself, and sees me like, going slowly and carrying this heavy box. He's like, let's unpack that. You don't need that. Like, I love you. You, Why are you carrying that around? 
You don't have to hide from me. And so, as I kind of fumble around through this, I wanted you to see like this Abba Father, this God who loves you. And that it would become more than just an intellectual statement, like hit the golf ball straight. And it would be something that permeates into every part of your being. So it shapes everything you do. It's, it, it becomes who you are. And so that you, you, you don't have to hide anymore. You can let things go. You can begin to work on things. So why don't you pray with me? So God, I pray that you would help us to know and understand your love. Know in the way of how we know our most deepest, intimate, best friend. Not, not, in, a, not in, a, in a factual way, but in a way that, you know, we see a look in their eyes and we know what they're thinking or we can recollect an old story or that we would know your love that deeply, that intimately, that it would just course through us. I pray for those that are, that are holding on to things or, or hiding f- things from you, God, because out of a fear that maybe it would affect how you see them. I pray that they would just know that uh, it doesn't. You, you, you still love them so intimately. And so we just thank you and praise you, God. Amen. So next Sunday, we're going to look at how, this is how God loves us. How do we then love God in return, as Jesus said, with all of our strength and soul and might. And, uh, and you don't have to deal with the time change next Sunday. So that'll be, that'll be really positive. So don't rush off. Feel free to uh, visit and hang out. But thanks so much for coming, and we'll see you again next Sunday.